say autopsy at my autopsy, but no one will be more shocked than me. Hello and welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we watch and discuss a year of film history every week, starting from 1895, and this week we're talking about 1903. I am one of your hosts, Chris Ellie. I'm a film projectionist, and joining me as always is... I'm Glenn Covell. I'm a filmmaker. So we're a film history podcast, and uh, right now we're talking about 1903. Uh, uh, you can watch along with us on our YouTube channel and with our YouTube playlist uh, that will incor- incorporate all of the movies we talk about in this episode, uh, and it's very handy. Until we get to the beginning of copyright in the 20s, and then that will no longer be an option. Yeah, we'll we'll have to think of something but we'll we'll have like trailers up or something we'll figure it out yeah we got 20 weeks until then too yeah um so this is the section where i wrote in banter how are you doing glenn oh um i'm doing okay (laughs) i'm back to work i'm doing editing for tv shows or a tv Mm -hmm. show uh and it's been fun it's been uh it's been enjoyable nice good use of my time have you been doing Okay, uh, I'm just kind of all over the place. I'm having to like move my stuff from room to room and paint things, and uh, uh, it's gross, which is why um, I'm making you record this at midnight, which is my <laughs> fault. That's <laughs> why we're going to be very tired this episode. <laughs> Get ready for an action-packed episode of yeah. uh, tiredness. Um, and the next movie we watched was this one. I mean, it would kind of fit for a dry film history podcast to be like, just, yes, um, the Great Train Robbery. Mm. Uh, Mitchell and Kenyon made a film about drowning. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, despite... Um, Andrew Cuomo saying that movie theaters can open back up again... Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going back to work mm. and I was afraid of my, I left my, when, when the whole pandemic thing happened, I left my, all my 35 millimeter like trailers and the one movie that I have on film, uh, at work and I was getting mm. nervous about them being moldy. So I went and picked them up today. Oh, nice. Yeah. So now I will keep them safe and secure at home. And one other news item before we get into the news items is <laughs> that I went and bought Foxy Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Nice a nice follow up to last week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was so enchanted by the the antics of Foxy Grandpa that I went and bought a uh a, a 1905 collection of comic book strips on eBay from Foxy Grandpa. The something larks of Foxy Grandpa. I haven't mm. actually looked at it cuz I'm afraid if I touch it it'll turn into dust. Um <laughs> Uh, now that we've got all that banter out of the way, Glenn, uh, we like every week to uh, give us a little context for the news that is happening that year. Would you like to read it out for us? The news, 1903. In the aftermath of the Spanish-American War, Cuba leaves Guantanamo Bay to the United States. But can we trust the good old U.S. of A. to do any good things there? No war crimes, certainly. The Paris-Madrid automobile race begins. After eight fatalities, the French government puts a stop to the races. The Ford Motor Company is founded. 
American socialite Ada D'Acosta becomes the first woman to fly solo a powered aircraft, the dirigible number nine. The first tour de France is held. Panama establishes itself as independent from Colombia. A fracture in the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party. They become the Bolsheviks and Mensheviks. The Wright brothers fly the first true aeroplane. The Wright flyer at Kitty Hawk. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah. Um, that that was a bit of a a bit of a light year of news. Except for I've been yeah. waiting for that airplane, I mean, airplane for a long time. Yeah. They're like, all making room for the I've, airplane. I've been like counting down. I've been like double checking, make sure, making sure that I ha- didn't miss the Wright brothers because I knew mm. that I had to put it in there. You know. Yeah, of course. Um, it's funny because we've already had films about flying machines. Yeah, I mean, I, it speaks to the era, I guess, because there, it was this whole dawn of aviation. I don't know if you know. It seems obvious through the things that we're watching, other than those two movies. But like everybody's mm. experimenting with dirigibles and strange airplanes, and it—they've been doing it for a couple of years. And the Wright brothers are the first ones to get it right. Yeah, brothers. Uh. Oh. <laughs> um. Well, we can start out as we always do with our boy, <laughs> our 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 garçon, George <laughs> George <Amelier. laughs> our boy george melies yeah um yeah he did this year he did uh basically one big movie and a bunch of little movies so many um and for the first time i i skipped most of them yeah same um which is you know i'm not proud of but you know hey i'm, I'm a working man now um i have no excuse <laughs> <laughs> um Maybe, yeah, there's there's a lot from this year. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like maybe one of the most one of the one of the biggest years so far for just how many of his films um survive. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah, that he sure. made, but that are available to watch. It, um, yeah, exactly. I um I'm um uh I do in, I do intend on going back and watching them, uh mm. because you know, I, I don't know. They, they all do start to blend together a little bit, especially when they're little trick films. But um, uh, it would be good to have watched the entire Melies filmography. Yeah. I don't know. Then, when... then we can we can really impress Martin Scorsese when we meet him. Oh man, can you do a Martin Scorsese impression of Not him being well, impressed I with can't. us? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's like just quite outside. They're just a little bit outside of my ability as well. Yeah, I, I need to practice it a bit. Um, before I do it on the over the air, over the airwaves. Sorry to put you um, on the spot there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my my biggest thought before we get into like his individual movies that we watched is I definitely feel like George Melies is entering his uh, his imperial phase, as they say, in hmm. in in the the arts. Wait, what does that mean? Uh, it's when whenever an artist sort of. Uh, reaches a peak of both artistic and uh, commercial, I suppose, success. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone is loving what Malaise is doing. Mm-hmm. He's making his best work. Everyone is in... Everyone's into it. <laughs> He's making money. It's just like, you know, everything's everything's coming up Malaise. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, this is the year. Uh, the le- as legend goes, he basically didn't make any money from a trip to the moon because it got so pirated. And this mm. is the year that Melies started up an American branch of Star Films uh, to distribute his uh, um, his movies domestically, and it was run by his brother. Uh, and I guess one of their big their big boys this year would have been the Kingdom of the Fairies. Yeah, which based on the small amount of reading I did about it is sort of the um the contrarians uh favorite Melies movie. This is the one everyone's like ah. this is the this is actually his best movie. Um I don't agree. I could no, see neither it, do I. It's great. <laughs> I I was I was partially blown away by it. Like I was very I really enjoyed it a lot. Um it's very I, I don't um, think it's better than Trip to the Moon. Yeah, I think a Trip to the Moon is a little more it's a little more cohesive. It feels it mm-hmm. sweeps you up a bit more. This one is so lavish, though. Um, yeah, the sets are gorgeous in this movie, uh, and the color is really beautiful too. Yeah, um, this is one that thankfully is pretty easy to find in HD, which makes a very big difference. Having watched a lot of these in um, standard or lower definition, yeah. watching one like a really nice scan of one that's in HD and like with the hand painted colors and things it's it's gorgeous yeah man remember like those really like garbagey old uh, videos of the house of the devil from 1896 that just like <laughs> it was so impossible to find that movie in any like reasonable quality yeah um ugh. yeah this one just at at every I feel like almost every scene I was like Oh, now this another cool thing. <laughs> um, like I didn't know, I didn't know where it was going. I knew it was called Kingdom of the Fairies, but beyond that, um, it, there was a lot of surprises for me. Well, yeah, I mean, it being called the Kingdom of the Fairies kept making me think that there there would be it would be more fairy forward, but <laughs> right, yeah, it's more um, sea monster forward, <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Um, yeah, it's a very it's it's kind of a big a big fairy tale picture. Um, it reminded me actually of uh the magic sword from a, yeah. a few episodes yeah, ago. Same. Um, and I mean uh, just a lot of mythology. It follows a a pretty kind of standard fairy tale mythological plot mm-hmm. of of a kidnapped princess and such. Um, that old chestnut. Yeah, basically like a, I mean like super broad strokes. Like a princess gets kidnapped by a bunch of demons essentially um a witch and and, and her imp pals is what i have right. in my notes yeah <laughs> um and then uh like a a guy becomes knighted essentially and then chases after them and tries to rescue the princess and on knighted, the way knighted by a like a goddess angel yeah sort of yeah figure uh yeah she kind of appears there and and Gives him the old tap tap on yeah. the shoulders. Gives him a helmet, a sword, shield. <laughs> um, they took off after her in a ship, uh, which has more like lady sailors. Um, similar to, more lady sailors. Similar to Trip to the Moon, which I'm just like, you do you, Maliers. You have a thing <laughs> that you like to have lady sailors in your movies. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some really cool uh, like miniature shots of of the ship out on the sea and like crazy stormy sky. 
Yeah, you know, so I was, I, this was the first one that I've actually gotten anyone in my family to watch with me. Oh, um, yeah? And my mom was kind of laughing at that scene, even though mm-hmm. I was, I was like gobsmacked. I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. Like the, the colors and the parallax background and the yeah, little, yeah. The, the water and the, bo- and, but my mom saw like the little, the kind of dinky little model boat on the, <laughs> on the bottom and she was laughing at it. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Um, uh, then like the ship a... sinks. Yep. Sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say about the the ship before then? Uh, I don't remember. Go ahead. Okay. The ship sinks. Um, and then we get just a uh, amazing underwater scene with the octopus and fish in front of the lens. He's doing that yeah. trick of like having the fish tank in, in front of the camera and shooting through it. So there's fish kind of floating around. It's such a like deep, dense, layered scene. It's really cool. Yeah, there's like an octopus way in the background. There's a shipwreck. There's like all the 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 crew sort of like laying out on the rocks, and then some uh, some like I don't know shrimp riders roll up. <laughs> yeah, which the the imp the the witch's imp pals also w- go away on a like a shrimp mobile kind of th- on on wheels too. Right, like a, a chariot. Yeah, there's a lot of shrimp chariots in, the, <laughs> in this movie. We made these shrimp chariots. We're going to use them. Um, so then, yeah, they're saved by, I think, the same goddess who gives gives the uh, the prince his magic helmet and sword. Yeah, she just keeps helping him out everywhere. Yeah, everywhere of, he needs help. A lot of deus ex goddess. Fairy, yeah. yeah. Um... They get taken to meet the Ocean King, um, I guess, and uh, get taken to the island they're going to in a whale. They all climb into the whale's mouth. The whale just being a sort of like big cutout puppet thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, which looks great. It has a surprising <laughs> amount of, of personality, I think, for I like a wooden cutout of it's a It's very animated, and like they, yeah. they, they do a good thing. Um, when the whale deposits them back on shore, it like the the head of the whale dives under the rocks and you can't see it anymore. And then it it uh, it shows you the kind of whole motion by like uh, flipping a separate tail prop up, and, right. it, and it makes that the whale seem much more like animated and and mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> um, I will say like also before we talk about before we're done talking about uh, overwater is um. There, an, uh, another kind of fun scene underwater is when they're making their way to see the the king, and uh, there are some people that are like walking on the water floor and able to breathe underwater because it's a fairy tale, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some people in the same scene that kind of s- are, are on strings and they swim through the air. Yeah, and so there's like there's this whole parade of people uh, d- making their way through the water on. T- on shrimp chariots or on foot or swimming and it's it's very it's it's very fun oh it's so good um <laughs> so yeah then they 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 show up on the island get out of the whale um the prince i think his name is supposed to be Belazor, based on some like the original notes um saves the princess from a burning castle uh the witch gets thrown off a cliff in a barrel uh which is fun <laughs> Uh, and as is custom for these types of movies from this time period, 
they uh, they return and there's a big party, and it kind of <laughs> just ends with that. Yeah, it ends with them all posed in like a photo finish or like a a, a nice kind of group photo thing yeah. at the end. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, yeah, what a what a picture. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, one one technique that I saw in this and uh, Damnation of Faust too um, was that he does this thing where you know George Melies is experimental with a lot of things, but he's not experimental with his shots um, and uh, or edits so mm-hmm. much. And um, it seems like he he in those two movies he's attempting like a zoom sort of effect. By having all of these pieces of, um, uh, I guess stage, I don't know what you would call it. Like, oh, like, uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like p- pieces, pieces, like pieces of stage pro- props that are like mountains, and then like another kind of mountainscape, and then coral, and then like, uh, uh, uh like seaweed or something like that and then he he pulls one down and then pulls another one up and then pulls another one down and another one up and so it looks like you're moving forward almost through uh through the scene right um or at least it's kind of got this like unfolding sort of look to it which i thought was cool um yeah it's it's interesting that he's he's using what i assume is probably an, an existing uh stage technique rather mm-hmm. than trying to move the camera or yeah. or anything like that. Um he's sticking very closely with his sort of stage uh aesthetic and uh and language, I suppose. Yeah, the French the French not inventive with cuts, inventive with edits. Yeah. Uh, or or with effects. Um the as I, as we said before, uh, at the British inventive with edits, and then the Americans are not inventive. <laughs> no, <laughs> Americans are just stealing things left and right, and uh, and getting credit for it, um, as is their way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I was reminded a lot of Wizard of Oz with hmm. Kingdom of the Fairies. Yeah, um, I think the you know the evil witch being the main thing. Um, it's pretty long for the time. I think it's over 15 minutes. It's like 17. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely never boring. No. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. I, I, I had a good time with it. I, I mean, I was just so, I mean, my favorite thing is just how pretty it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's doing anything quite as complex. I don't know if I would call I don't know. It's it's not Trip to the Moon, but it's so mm-hmm. pretty. <laughs> yeah. I think somewhat like Trip to the Moon. Um, I mean, I'd never seen this one before, and I was just like constantly just being delighted by whatever new thing was appearing on screen. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a Kingdom of the Fairies. Okay, we got some, we got some imps figured that. Okay, now we got a, shri- a shrimp expected. chariot. Yeah, less expected. Shipwreck, octopus, ocean king, shrimp knights. Great stuff. Like the yeah. whole time I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. Um He's he's very inventive. Yeah. Uh, and I mean this is one of uh it seems like now he's getting into stuff that's not explicitly based off fairy tales. Um mm-hmm. so he he's doing these more involved movies, but he has the confidence to like tell the story to create his own fairy tales and, and tell the story his own way. 
Right. Uh, which is, I think, working out better since it's the the plots are a little bit more simplistic and it doesn't require as much kind of foreknowledge or yeah. pedal cards or things like that to help tell the story. They're very self-contained. And, yeah, uh, he he hasn't used title cards at all, right? No, I don't think he um, has. Yeah, I think this this year there's there were there was a bit of a title card explosion, and <laughs> uh, I was seeing them used in both helpful ways and meaningless ways. Uh, right, I guess as um as they're getting used to the uh device. Um, they're not entirely. Uh, they're not entirely prepared to know the right way to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we use that as a as a nice segue, um, yeah. I do. There was one other thought I had just about like Melies in general while I was watching uh, Kingdom of the Fairies and some of his other movies from this year, which mm-hmm. is, I feel like Melies is kind of a predecessor to. A much more like recent trend in filmmaking that kind of started, I think, with um, like in the in the mid two thousands, there was a bunch of digital backlot movies, which are movies just shot entirely on green screen, like Sky Captain, Sky Captain, Three Hundred, Sin City, mm. um, movies that are sort of very, uh, like sort of fantastical and imaginative, right, um. And kind of almost dreamlike in a way that are just shot in a single room, uh, which is the way that Melies made all his movies. Like I he's just that's building true, yeah. all this stuff, and like they don't they don't feel real, but they feel sort of heightened and fun. And um, yeah, par- part of the thing that was happening, uh, speaking of the the heightened, was that uh, nature of it is that you know my mom was laughing at it, and she's like is this really the best they could do? Is this, was this what they thought was realistic? Like some, they must've had better stage effects. And Mm. I was, I was saying like, I think he's going for a more, a more strange dream, like fairy tale, like not quite realistic, more cartoony, you know, a real life cartoon in a way. Yeah. Uh, very much. So I think, I think that is, um, I think there's even, I don't know if documentation is the right term, but like, I feel like it's a, a, a somewhat well-known aspect of Melies' stuff is that he's like, he thought of his movies as, as dreams. Hmm. Um, at least that's what he says in the movie Hugo. <laughs> I got to watch Hugo again, just to better contextualize all yeah, of this. I did. I watched a couple clips this week um, mm. just of the like Melies making movies stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, uh, I have the book, uh, that Hugo's based on, um, and there's some, um, there's some drawings from Melies movies in there, uh, that are really cool, like mm-hmm. illust- illustrations from, uh, and like designs from different movies, including, right. oh, King- nice. including Kingdom of the Fairies. Um, uh... so that's something kind of to look up. I don't know if we can put that on the Twitters or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, link um, it to me, and I'll put it in the show notes. Check out the show notes, everybody. Yeah, that's a thing that you can do. Um, and yeah, like the uh, kind of similar to the digital backlot stuff is like the more recent uh, volume filming. The volume being the uh, film set made out of LED screens that they can just kind of change the background of and change the lighting of. 
Oh. Um, you said, ha- like, Mandalorian. The man- It's how they shot the Mandalorian, yeah. Right. Uh, which is, I think, the, the biggest, um, other than, like, commercials, it's, like, the biggest profile thing that has been shot on I on guess the there's volume. A lot of po- there's a lot of potential there. Um, I mean, for for doing weird stuff, I guess the mm-hmm. problem is that that setup is so expensive that only yeah. that people can only do normal stuff with it. Right. It is also like so, so far it has mostly been used to be like, it's like the sky or a desert. Like no one has really used it in a way that it's like, you can shoot the sky or a desert. Um, I feel like I haven't seen anything shot on a volume set that is like, you couldn't make this anywhere else. So hmm. we need, we need a, a real Melies type to uh to push that if anybody if any film financiers are listening give glenn tons of money <laughs> and he'll make a, a a chupacabra movie or something <laughs> on a volume set <laughs> you heard it here here first folks i'm gonna make a chupacabra movie on a volume set and it's gonna be groundbreaking <laughs> I expect it. I fully expect it. It's going to be the artistic achievement of the 21st century. The Meliers of his time, Glenn Covell. With with his film, Chupacabra's Breakfast. Chupacabra's Breakfast. Um, Anyway, what were we talking about before that whole thing? Meliers. Meliers. And uh, uh, title cards. Dreamlike. What's that? Title cards. We mentioned Right. We could use that as a segue. Uh, I guess it's a bit late now. What? If, let's go for it. What What did you want to segue into exactly? Uh, well, we could segue into another uh, significant French filmmaker, Ferdinand mm-hmm. Zecca. Ah, uh, yes. The, the, the Zeckmeister. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Zeckman. <laughs> um... Yeah, so he made a couple of movies that are essentially lost this year. Mm. Um, but then he also made The Big Boy, the the 45-minute-long The Life and Passion of Christ. Indeed. Um, 45 whole minutes. And so super, super long for this time. I mean, uh, Kingdom of the Fairies is hypothetically long for this time. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. Um, this is this is huge, and you know, honestly, before I started this, um, I was expecting it to be very dry and boring, uh, and and just plain, like the um, like the Lumiere Jesus movie, I think. Right. Um, but I think this is like really well done uh, for what it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I it doesn't. Uh, un- if this movie were made by an American, it would be, you know, five minutes of good stuff and forty minutes of wasted time. But I, I think that <laughs> I, I, I think that this this movie doesn't feel like it's wasting my time, even though it's super long. Like right. it hits yeah. it hits all the points of the Jesus story, um, <laughs> all the highlights, all the highlights yeah. and the lowlights. Yeah, um, and. Uh, I mean, I even learned some stuff because I'm not really a, a, a Jesusly knowledge. I, I don't have the Jesus knowledge, you know. Mm. Um, uh, so it didn't just skip from baby Jesus to 
uh, adult Jesus like um, most stuff does. Right. That that was actually something that surprised me because yeah, I mean, I'd I'd, I'd heard some Jesus's Jesus stories in in my life, but mm-hmm. I I wasn't super well read or you know it's been a while since I've indulged in a in a a biography. Um, <laughs> and yeah, there was this there's a surprising amount of adolescent Jesus, which is nice to see. I feel like that yeah. that stuff tends to get glossed over. It's like he's a baby, he's born, suddenly he's thirty, and he's walking on water, and it's like what. What in between? <laughs> what happened? We gotta know. And, um, and in this movie, we get to see him learning to become a we, carpenter. We finally learn. <laughs> we finally get the, to see it. You get to see the things the Bible never told you. Yeah. Never had the guts to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the yeah, things well, that were too intense for the Bible. <laughs> um, so this movie, I found out just just today uh, that this movie was not actually all shot in 1903 it was shot it, it's it's many scenes that are stitched together as a movie like i guess any movie would be um but mm. uh it's uh it was filmed over the course of 1903 to 1905 uh but whatever we'll call it a 1903 <laughs> movie sure um it does i think kind of fit within Ferdinand Zeka's established like filmmaking style that he's had so far which is mm-hmm. he's a little bit similar to Melies in that he indulges a bit in some fantastical thinking occasionally yeah and some some sort of weird staging and things like that but he's definitely a much more grounded he's trying to make films in a much more grounded reality than Melies is yeah and I think he's trying to do more with drama than Melies he's trying yeah. to tell more human stories and not about fishmen. Right. Um yeah. Uh this definitely I feel like Malays is all about like, oh magic, oh fishmen, silly, ah, it's fun. And Zeka is like, no. Films are meant to be serious. We're gonna tell serious <laughs> there's a guy who murdered someone and now he's gonna die too. And now we're gonna do a thing where a guy drinks and his family is loses all their money. And now his film about Jesus, and it's very serious and stoic, and you're gonna learn some things, kids. It's 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 serious and stoic, but it's not boring. I will. It's say. not. No, it is not boring. Um, but I, I do think it's it's funny to see the the contrast between these two French filmmakers who are both really yeah. pushing the medium forward, and one of them is like only silliness, and the other one is like no. Also, one loves God and one loves the devil. <laughs> yes. Also funny. Like, that, there's a, a very, like, stark contrast between the two. Like, Ferdinand Zeke is like, drinking is evil and you should learn about Jesus. And Melies is like, I'm an imp. I steal your, I steal your gold and your woman. <laughs> Time Smoke. to party with the devil. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's wonderful. They're both great in their own ways. Yeah. Um but anyway, I think it's like it's it's a testament to Zeka's storytelling skill that that this 45-minute movie holds you the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh there's you know many scenes, probably 20 or 30 or something like that. Um and uh but the 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 composition of this shots is very nice. 
there are some uh, um, there are some kind of like inventive things being done uh, where there's one scene in particular uh, in, in the manger, the classic manger, uh, where uh, you, you, the, the movie uses a lot of tinting. Uh, which mm. uh, to to distinguish between locations and scenes, and there's a part in the manger where it, uh, it's got one tint on it uh, inside the manger, and then the camera pans over to the right uh, outside the ma- the manger, and you see all of the wise men coming, and it's a different tint outside the manger, but then the tint it, it's all one shot, and so it's got like two tinted zones. That it, and it pans from one to the other and then back to the original one. Uh, so, so it's not applied to the whole shot. And you see, like, the seam in between the inside mm. and outside. And I think that's that's really nice. Yeah. Um, there are a couple close-ups in this movie. Or, like, medium close-ups. There, there are two of them, if I counted correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, of of uh, very Jesus-y moments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to really, the to really, really hit those home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole... I mean, another similarity to Melies, although I don't know if Zeka is as married to this as he is, is that it's a pretty pulled-back mm-hmm. composition. It's kind of stagey. It's a, each, each, each shot is distant, and you're watching the action play out as if on stage. But then uh, there is one shot uh, where you get, like, sort of an a close-up of Jesus getting the crown of, or not just getting, I think he has the crown of thorns and he's kind of just like suffering. Uh, and you see his face and he's suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another close-up of the shroud of Turin with his face on it. Right. Um, interesting to highlight those two things. Yeah. Um, um yeah, there's there's more. Uh, I mean, Melies shot all of his stuff in a single studio. Uh, with the, well, with occasional, he would go out and shoot a, a couple of shots in his uh, backyard. Yeah, um, at the beach. Um, a lot of this is shot in a in a studio or like with painted backdrops, but a lot of it is also shot on locations. Yeah, outside in rolling hills and such. Um, yeah. Which does also kind of help differentiate it from, kind of give it a little bit more of a grounded feeling. Um, oh, the other thing I forgot. Uh, did you have anything else to say on that? No, other than we haven't talked about the title cards once. About yes, this movie. that's what I was going to just say. <laughs> <laughs> Our whole transition was is the title cards. This has um, this has a ton of title cards, and I think that they are quite. They, they they do the job, you know. Yeah. I think I think they're good. I was I was thinking about this and uh, about how people are trying to guide you through these silent movies, and sometimes they're using familiar stories, and sometimes they're trying to use title cards to make the difference happen. Um, and so this this movie. Um, yeah, it, like introduces each scene with a with a title card, um, which seems to be the style at the time. It's like describing the thing that you're about to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, it's like something that we kind of generally already know what's going on. Yeah, and so that that helps a lot. The movie definitely assumes the audience is going to come in with some knowledge. I think because it's yeah, 
the the scene descriptions are not super in depth. They're usually sort of like baby Jesus is born in the manger. Like you kind of have to know what that is already. It's like yeah. oh the, oh it's this scene. I get it. The the movie does a good job of showing you how things happen, but it relies on you knowing why things happen. Yeah. And there there are other movies that are getting better at showing naturally or through effective title cards why things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any do you have anything else to say about the life and passion? Hmm. Well, there's the scene called the transformation where he turns from Gandalf the Grey into Gandalf the White. Right. And then back again. I thought that while watching it, but I did not write it down. But I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> I would have said Jesus the Grey and Jesus the White, but I'm not sure <laughs> which is the better joke. Um and uh there's a Last Supper scene that literally is just um it's the same it's the sh- painting. It's yeah, it's yeah. the Da Vinci painting. Um <laughs> Um, and also we see a scene, one of the, one of the scenes that I didn't know about. Da Vinci sounds like a EDM artist. <laughs> Have you not seen the, the, the video, the Da Vinci thing? No. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Uh, 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 I feel, oh man, I don't, I can't just des- pause for a second. Watch this video. I can't describe it to you. It's six seconds long. <laughs> okay. I looked. I searched Da, Vin- da Vinci video, and it just—it's the editing software. Um, <laughs> Spell it with a K. Okay. Da Vinci. <laughs> All right, it is six seconds. Okay. Who painted the Mona Lisa? Oh, Mona Lisa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Da, da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, love it. Um, (laughs) these aren't these aren't real people. (laughs) They are real people. They're wrestlers, but apparently they're really like that. They they look like cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) Um. One other, one one final other scene that I thought was interesting was uh, Jesus driving the money changers from the temple, um, which was one one of the scenes from Jesus's life that I'd never heard of before. Um, but he's like mad that all of these like merchants and money changers and whatnot are inside of uh, a holy place, and so he just like gets really mad and kicks them out, which I've never seen Jesus like get like pissed off in a movie before <laughs> um doesn't but he doesn't often, like yeah. no but um turns out uh uh comrade jesus is not such a fan <laughs> of all of this uh all of this financial nonsense <laughs> okay uh time for a segue uh another movie with title cards in it um yep that we can use to segue into more interesting things is Diving Lucy, in which the title yes. cards dance around and are animated to spell different words, and it's very amusing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, it seems beyond this time, in a way, 
in, in just how kind of like playful it is and how, I don't know, good the animation is. It's like the, it, it's, um, it's a single, it's sort of like a single intro title card. Uh, but then the letters move into place and they kind of squirm into place and then they move into the next, the next thing that it says. And it just says maybe five or so lines mm. and then the movie begins, but it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty nice. It's, <laughs> This is also a Mitchell and Kenyon movie, which I think is kind of interesting that they're famous for doing these, like, portrait documentaries of working class, uh, like, English workers. And uh, and then they made this movie, which is about, like, a woman who dies into a lake and some people try to get her out and the cops take him away. I didn't follow it that well, but... No, me either. <laughs> um... This is, Sometimes this is, they did stuff that wasn't I, I, like some of their earliest things was, or one one of their earliest movies was hypothetically the first western, which mm-hmm. another movie we're going to talk about this week is sometimes credited as the first western and the first narrative film, but we mm-hmm. know that's not true. Um, but Mitchell and Kenyon might have made the first western back in the eighteen hundreds, right? Um, although I have some things to say about that, but we'll get to it. Okay, our, our catchphrase. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, another uh, English film that I watched this week that I was wildly impressed by was George Albert Smith's Mary Jane's Mishap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this ain't no reefer madness. No, this is. Um, I believe this is before any of the any of those terms existed. Um, <laughs> but this is we. You know, if you've listened to the other episodes, you probably know. Our pal George Albert Smith and his yeah. delightfully goofy movies full of goofy faces. He loves a good <laughs> goofy face. Um, and this honestly might be the most like narratively, not narratively complex, but the most like complex use of film language that we've seen hmm. so far. And it's for the dumbest movie. <laughs> um, but it's got, it's got everything. It's got insert shots. It's got mid-scene edits it's got goofy faces it's got fourth wall breaks it's got wipes yeah it's got yep. ghosts <laughs> yep um this is truly uh, the the stefan joke of of 1903 films <laughs> oh i get that reference <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah so more or less it's this kind of like zany woman who's doing stuff around the house and uh she was she she's she like shining a shoe or something like that something um, like that she gets she gets some some soot or some some shoe polish on her face and it looks, and it like, looks a mustache, like a mustache yeah and she's very amused by that um but th- <laughs> and yeah i was gonna say she's like doing these sort of goofy things and acting like anyone would just in their home while you're doing goofy things but she'll sort of like Take little kind of like glances at the camera, sort of like acknowledging it. Like he, see, a funny thing just happened. <laughs> um, which I we've got a little bit of that, but I feel like it's never been quite this overt. Yeah, yeah. She like literally winks at the camera a few times. Right. Yeah. Um, the other notable thing about those scenes is that it's it's going back and forth between wide shots of, of her interacting in the whole room and medium shots of her 
doing an activity or looking at the camera. Uh, and then it kind of bounces back and forth as it needs, which... Right. We're getting two angles of really the same scene. And we're cu- yeah. cutting between the two for different sort of viewpoints on the same thing. Which is not completely unheard of at this point, but is pretty rare. Yeah, and it's being used a lot more uh, effectively here. Mm-hmm. It's being used a lot more intentionally here. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like This movie isn't necessarily doing anything that hasn't been done before on its own, but it's doing it very effectively. And it's doing yeah. a lot of different things like this. Um, We've even had ghosts rising out of graves before. <laughs> right? But the, yeah, but I mean, there's a sort of thing where the plot of the movie is this Mary Jane woman is a, a goofy person who is always making mishaps and shenanigans and she pours uh what a bunch of um not kerosene paraffin yeah paraffin into the i guess the fireplace and lights it or the stove i think it's paraffin into the stove and lights it and the house explode and she blows herself up yeah she pours like a comical amount of paraffin in whilst uh, looking at the camera like yeah (laughs) you know what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah. Um I guess she... this may be supposed to be a known thing at this time that you don't put paraffin in a stove. Yeah. Which <laughs> I'm glad I didn't I don't live then cuz I don't I didn't know that. Um yeah. and then she explodes. And then from there um it's either a, I think a uh a, a, a hard cut or it might be a dissolve into her gravestone which is such a well, weirdly uh like complex joke and it's weird to say this just like cutting to a gravestone is like a complex joke but for this time period that's what it is yeah Uh, although that that cut comes from the the there's a shot in between which is she explodes uh but then she gets like sucked up into the chimney and then she rockets out of the chimney (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> like it cuts to like a wide shot of the outside of the house and then you see the chimney of the house and you just see this like blur just shoot out of the <laughs> chimney and then it cuts to a gravestone <laughs> but that's like that is a joke that is built out of editing true um you know it isn't there is a lot of slapstick in this movie but it's like a lot of the big jokes of it come purely through the juxtaposition of different images next to each other um, yeah, which is just great, great to see. I think. <laughs> um, I was very impressed with this one for for being so, um, just doing a good job with with editing and film language. George, George Albert Smith, we're we're big fans. Yeah, um, there there are some people we don't like, <laughs> and there are some people we do like. Yeah, George we like is, him. George is one of the good ones. Yeah, um, there were uh, a bunch of other. British movies that I watched from this year that were um, all doing some some forms of, of editing that were, if not as impressive, at least like uh, sort of doing things a bit differently from the sort of way that we've seen a lot of editing that's been established with Melies or Zeka or sort of like, here's a scene, cut to and, and the next scene, cut to the next scene. Um, yeah. I feel like these British movies are much more sort of like the whole film is one long scene that has edits in it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. 
there was the first ever or the oldest surviving um, film adaptation of Alice in Wonderland, in Wonderland. Yep. By Cecil Hepworth. Cecil Hepworth, which we haven't we haven't seen much from him yet, I don't think. No, uh, not to my knowledge. Um, this might be the first superimposed title, like title that's like over picture. Yeah, I was pretty impressed by that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it just starts out with this kind of arc-shaped uh, Alice in Wonderland title that's over the first scene, and then it fades away, and then it fades into the the first scene, which is great. I mm-hmm. think it's fantastic. Um, Much, a lot of intertitles in this one. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot more than most other movies from the time. Oh, Cecil Hepworth did Explosion of a Motor Car, my oh, favorite okay. movie of 1900. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I so, like him. So, so we like Cecil Hepworth. Yes. Um, <laughs> one thing that struck at, struck me with this movie was like it's it's very ambitious with how much how many effects it's trying to do. Yeah, same. But Cecil Hepworth is not as good at it as George Melies. <laughs> it's it's a the effects are a little janky at times yeah uh like he's he's really with the um drink me and eat me uh uh uh, potions Mm -hmm. uh where she grows big and small there he uses uh a combination of double exposures double exposures with like with camera moving and uh uh substitution splices and three different sized prop yeah. uh, uh, stools for her to stand next to. Um, so he's doing he's doing something really ambitious. He's really trying to to sell this effect, but you can see you can really see the seams yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, um, but it's 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 pretty. Um... Another thing is like if Melies had made this movie, it would have been just absolutely like hog wild just craziness like this is a bit more naturalistic like we see it's like oh she's like outside a house or like in a garden it's like it looks like just a normal garden um right and it's and it's shot in a way that feels more filmic like it's not as stagey yeah um, it's also just like much more cheaply made. I, mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of there are a lot of effects going on, but you can tell they just like went to the park and then yeah. shot a bunch of kids wearing uh, yeah. playing card costumes in a park. Um, it actually it very much reminded me of um, my going to film school in Brooklyn, going to Brooklyn College, and uh, everyone would just go to Prospect Park to make make their early 60 millimeter <laughs> black and white movies uh-huh. and so all these movies were just like oh yeah they went to the park like we've all been there like we like see each other filming at the same time it's like these all look the same and uh, just seeing seeing a movie like this it's just like clearly just like let's go to the park and do it <laughs> like yeah. it's right there <laughs> that's funny i wonder if anyone ever ended up in the background of someone else's brooklyn college movie i'm, I'm while, sure while they were they filming did. i'm sure they did yeah um, it's like everyone is like layered on top of each other. This movie, the specificity of Alice in Wonderland, I think, is kind of neat though, uh, as a choice because this is a very, a, a very deliberately post 
Man with the Rubber Head movie. Uh, <laughs> because once Man with the Rubber Head comes out, then you go, oh, Alice in Wonderland, which which has the shrinking and growing, mm-hmm. I can do this now. You right, know? yeah. And so this is a movie that uh, that's the the that came from uh uh new effects being discovered mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a james cameron kind of situation you know he's like <laughs> i need this like you, you know the, the 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 new special effects in the movie are are informing each other's existence right. Gollum um, walked so that jake sully could run yeah or kind of scampered <laughs> <laughs> Um, take that back. Jake Sully does not scamper. <laughs> no, Gollum scamper. No, I know. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, it was a joke. Yes, it was. One he of kind those. of like vaulted. I haven't seen Avatar since it came out. Uh, but he kind of like just he just booked it in that movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, one day we'll see Avatar sequels. He keeps saying they exist. I don't believe him. <laughs> just a bunch of cartoon like like crayon drawings of blue people that he did and he's like this is avatar 5 <laughs> um uh what else happened um oh i will say like you know i i thought this alice in wonderland movie was pretty cool but like as another movie with uh intertitles i thought that this one especially given the very fantastic circumstances like didn't do quite as good of a job of like telling you what's going on mm-hmm. and it uh it didn't tell unlike uh, unlike the jesus movie or uh the melies movie it didn't tell a cohesive story so much as it uh showed you a bunch of scenes from alice in wonderland yeah and it didn't really show you how those scenes are connected so much there is missing footage from the movie but i don't think that would fix it but there there's also scenes in it where like the title cards are doing a lot of heavy heavy lifting they'd be like and then a bunch of shit happened (laughs) and now another scene and it's like you could have just shown us that um we don't have have the budget yeah exactly (laughs) it's like and then a huge battle happened and there was all this fighting and now we're back in the bedroom and it's like come on um (laughs) Uh, the the other British films that uh that I watched from this year, I guess we both watched the same stuff. I keep saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, is what I will refer to as the the nineteen oh three British chase films. Um, because they're all chase yep. movies. Yep. Um, which will lead us into the the, the big daddy, the big daddy of the year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that term will stick around. Um, uh, the first of these British chase films is Frank Mottershaw's A Daring Daylight Burglary, Mm -hmm. in which a burglar breaks into a house and gets chased by the Bobbies through the countryside. Yeah. Um, and it, it made me think about how, uh, uh. So there's like a kid who sees him breaking into the house and he runs and tells the cops and then they chase after him. And it made me think about how in the era before police cars, they just the cops just had to run after people. <laughs> well, with horses. Not horses. in this movie. No. Um, but yes, that is a funny thought of... Uh... 
<laughs> just foot chases only. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty straightforward, but um, it is seemingly all shot on location, which is which is cool. Yeah. Um, and it does follow screen direction, which is also cool. Yeah, I mean this is in the lineage of I forget who did it the other couple years ago that um yeah uh, another brit uh yeah. uh and it, the one where the guy hides in a barrel and gets attacked by dogs but like <laughs> it's um it it's yeah i guess, i guess these chase movies are starting to kind of have a formula in the mm-hmm. way that you would with a, a phantom ride um and it's just you run from like they run from one side of a scene to another and then you run through a bunch of scenes and eventually yeah. they get caught yeah um it's mostly the 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 big draw here is seeing people run yes it's like (laughs) lord of the rings basically yeah Uh, these movies are kind of proto lord of the rings and that most of it's just people running from place to place (laughs) Um, an interesting thing about this movie though is that um uh oh well, well uh he 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 gets on a train uh and he like kind of almost makes his escape on the train but then the cops pick him up at the next station and yeah. get him it almost turns uh, into a phantom ride film it does and it almost and and it's and it, the the scene where he gets caught is the same framing as arrival of a train at the station that is a good point um i guess it's just how you shoot trains and stations really probably no other, yeah no other way to do it um uh but this film in uh supposedly inspired uh, the next one, which is uh, Desperate Poaching Affray. Not a fair, Affray. Yeah. Uh, directed by William Hagar. The horrible. Um, indeed. Uh, which is another, like, just people running. Um, this one, uh, two poachers <laughs> who get chased by some hunters. Um, and, it, yeah, this one is also, like, clearly just kind of shot out in... Not in the park, but just out in some woods. In some woods, yeah. Um, which does like it. It feels so different from the like designed stagey Meliers or Zeka movies. That's true. Yeah, movies um, being shot like outside in natural environments instead of painted dreamscapes. Yeah. Um, it's it's not like one isn't necessarily better better than the other, but it's yeah. it is interesting to see the two back to back. Um, this one has a little bit of camera movement. We get a we get a pan. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's it's uh, it's a very it's a very deliberate pan because it's following the action. It's mm-hmm. uh, like they're moving. They move from the right side of the screen to the left, and as they hit the left side of the screen, it kind of tracks along with them. Uh, as they, I think they go down a hill or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's sim- pretty simple yeah. otherwise. Um, and then, uh, a pretty big milestone, I think, as far as I know, uh, Mm -hmm. the runaway match is the first car chase on film. And what, what a low speed car chase it is. Well, it's 1903. Couldn't go very fast back then. The, the, the running chases are much faster. Right. Um, there is a cool shot, uh, very reminiscent of Jurassic Park of kind of, the camera on the front of a car and the, the the car the camera's on slows down and you see the car in front kind of pulling away and moving away from camera 
Um, so it's sort of following along behind, and then as the as the the car in the behind that the camera's on slows down, like you see the car ahead. I know what scene you're talking away. about, but I'm still very confused. Um, um, am I describing it poorly, or I, it's just complicated? Maybe somewhere out there, someone out there understands. Yeah, um, it's the it's it's like the shot in Jurassic Park when they they drive away from the T Rex after they've, you know, after uh-huh. after Muldoon finally gets the gear in, sh- you know, shifted. Um. And it's like, all right, they've gotten away from the T-Rex. And you kind of see almost like a T-Rex POV of the Jeep driving away. It's, just, right. it's a car driving away from camera is what I'm describing. I'm just doing it in a very convoluted, shitty way. Okay, I've got you. So, yeah, yeah. it's The, the camera switches to the perspective of the chaser. And yeah. then a, as they get stuck, because uh, cars kind of spontaneously exploded back then. <laughs> and that's how the chase ends. As, um, as seen in, in previous uh Cecil Hepworth films. Yeah. Uh and so you see the you see yeah, you see them speed away. That's right. Um yeah, this one also had like a lot more kind of complex editing than mm-hmm. I'm used to seeing. Um there's a nice close up insert shot of uh the whole sort of premise of this movie is like a, a runaway bride and groom trying to escape a mean old dad, I guess. Yeah, and get married really quickly. Yeah, but uh, then, before he can catch up to them. But then, like he, they they talk to him and they they convince him that it's a good idea and everyone's happy at the end. Yeah. Um, but there's a nice close up shot of like the ring going on the the bride's finger. Yeah. As like, see, look at this. Um, and, I mean, this, you know, we've seen insert shots before, but this one is very much. I, I mean, it feels not pointless. Like a, like <laughs> grandma's reading glass or something like that, you know? Right. Uh, like this one. Right. Is, is, it isn't an, an effect. It's not like the point of the movie is to be ooh, look a close up. It's like yeah. It's, it's purely there to using support it to, the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I think this one was my favorite of the three British chase movies. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, at the very least, the first two were big, supposedly big influences on. Uh, the next guy we can talk about edwin s porter who american extraordinary ordinarily we're not such great fans of no no <laughs> um, he hasn't he doesn't have a great track record so far but do you want to do you want to talk about any of these others ones that he did or do you want to just I, jump right in i mean i think they're probably worth mentioning because mm-hmm. um i think they do sort of help chart his like evolution a little bit sure and his improvement (laughs) right which which we have seen over the last couple weeks yeah um so i guess the the first is life of of an american fireman Mm -hmm. um which i had heard of i think as this like yeah groundbreaking piece of storytelling and i realized watching it now that is basically a remake of fire yeah but not as good but not as good it's it's yeah. like he's gonna do all the same things but do them worse um there's one like close-up insert shot in this that is kind of neat of like a mm-hmm. hand pulling the fire alarm yes yeah i like that shot um the rest of it is kind of tedious um it's a lot longer than fire and for no good reason it's just a lot of a lot of horses horse-drawn fire engines yeah 
running around. Oh my god, yeah. So speaking of and and, and spe- speaking of wasting my time from the <laughs> Jesus movie, like half of this movie is the fire trucks getting to the scene. Yeah. And it's so it's like five fire trucks and you see all five of them go from one side of the screen to the other like two or three times. Fire trucks being horse drawn. Uh, yeah. Horse drawn fire trucks. <laughs> fire carriages. Yeah. Um fire wagons. Um it is that Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, that that just really <laughs> set me against yeah. the movie. I was like I was looking at my watch. I don't wear a watch, but I was looking at my watch like what's what's going on here? <laughs> Uh, it did feel like a, a, a step up from uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, which was also yeah. way too long. Um, yeah, he doesn't. Mm, yeah, he he needs a better editor. Um, it, there's a lot of filler in in these movies so far. Yeah. Um, one thing that I had I think heard about and did a little bit of reading more into is that like this movie for a while was kind of famous for uh for using cross cutting. And mm-hmm. it turns out that that is entirely false because that was from a re a later re-edited version that I couldn't find anywhere. Yeah, I, I couldn't find any that had cross cutting, but apparently there was a someone later recut it to sort of like cross intercut uh, the scene outside the burning house and inside the burning house. And, yeah, which uh, would which would have been good, um, and it's probably the main reason why this movie is famous is that yeah. it has cross cutting in it which it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Um but then Edwin S. Porter makes uh, a 25 minute adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin uh mm-hmm. which was the first American film to use intertitles. Yep. Cuz our our big our big theme this this week is intertitles. Intertitles and chases? Yeah, yeah. Um this is the year of those. Um uh, this at least compared to Edwin S. Porter's other movies feels much more kind of theatrical. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it was based on the stage, like a, a stage version of the story. Mm-hmm. So it, it does kind of feel like they're just shooting a stage play a lot of the time. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, Edwin S. Porter, say what you will about his unoriginality and <laughs> shoddiness, um, but... Uh, one of the things he's known for is adventurous editing and interesting developments along storytelling mm-hmm. lines. And this one is very plain. Um, yeah. It's uh, a bunch of scenes stitched together, uh, not super dynamically staged, I would say. Yeah. Um, and the inter and I haven't read uncle Tom's cabin because I don't, I don't know. I didn't go to school, um, <laughs> but uh, so I don't really fully know what happens in it. Um, but uh, the intertitles didn't help me enough to really know. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, uh, it, it the is story. It is definitely one that expects you to know the story pretty yeah. pretty well ahead of time. Um, there's also uh, a movie that is is rather infamous. I would say, calling it mm-hmm. a movie even is is a bit of a stretch it's electrocuting an elephant which another one that has a lot of apocryphal information attached it it does um and this is the one time i will ever uh defend thomas edison is it is not (laughs) it is not in fact thomas edison electrocuting an elephant to prove that his 
electrical current is superior to Nikola Tesla. This was made years after that whole that whole thing happened. Yeah. Um, it was produced by his film company. Mm-hmm. And and shown, um, but I, he wasn't even involved with his film company by the time that this was made. Exactly. Apparently. Um, so this is e- arguably not even an Edwin S. Porter movie. It was possibly shot partially or entirely by Jacob Blair Smith. Um, I do not recommend that anyone watch this one because it is a snuff film of an elephant. <laughs> As stated in the title. A Snuffleupagus film. Oh. <laughs> the one time that joke is applicable. Um, uh, it's Topsy the Elephant, if that's not right. uh, specific. Topsy the, the, the circus elephant who was yeah. um, who was executed after um, Topsy killed a drunk uh, circus guest, circus audience member. Um, who burnt her trunk with a lit cigar. I do not blame Topsy for this. Yeah, I don't blame Topsy for that. Um, circuses being what they were at the time, they decided to hold a public execution <laughs> for Topsy. <laughs> they wanted to make a whole production out of it, too. Yeah, like, they, they, wanted they, to... they were going to hang her, but they realized yeah. that hanging an elephant was difficult, and so they, were, they decided on electrocution instead. And it's Those animal rights people, yeah. Carol Baskin, um, they got after ooh, Topical. 2020. <laughs> Yeah. Um uh yeah, a lot of animal cruelty in this one because it is as stated in the title, just footage of an elephant being electrocuted to death. Yeah. Well, she was off-screen, she was also fed carrots laced with cyanide. Um, right. And I think because they needed to double kill her. Yeah. Um oof. Uh there is the one bit of of levity that I can level towards this movie is that on Wikipedia there's a hilarious sentence stating electrocuting an elephant does not seem to have been as popular as other edison films of the period (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wonder why um but the what did you call it the the big daddy of the year (laughs) the big daddy of the year yes has a has a giant drill hand (laughs) the great train robbery yeah the second most famous silent film question mark maybe i don't know Maybe it's quite famous. Certainly, certainly, like pre, I think twenties, pre nineteen tens. Yeah, like it's probably not as famous as it's not as famous as Trip to the Moon, but it is. No, it's up there. And this this movie's credited for, as we were alluding to earlier, this movie's credited for a lot of things that mm-hmm. it uh, isn't. <laughs> that it isn't doesn't represent. But this movie's really good. It is. I, I think. I think it's um, one of the more, like, one of the most well put together movies mm-hmm. I've seen so far, if not the most. Porter really uh, stepped up his game on this one by a lot. Somehow, yeah. this guy, like, yeah, he just bumbled his way into a good movie. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, he he had a lot of help. Um, I don't know if I wrote it all down in my notes, but he he like went out and he. Uh... He like he he gathered a really good crew for this movie, and he got, um, I think one of the lead actors was uh pretty heavily involved in like the staging of it, mm-hmm. um, and so he I think he he kind of, um, delegated a bit more on this one, um, but and the production values on this are much higher than oh yeah. anything else we've seen. Uh, it feels 
big in mm-hmm. a way that his other stuff doesn't. Um, and in a way that other films that we've seen up to this point really don't also. Yeah. yeah. I, I think so. Um, just because, I mean, you know, the, the most impressive stuff we've seen so far is pretty much all Melies. And this yeah. is like we've kind of talked about a little bit on this episode is so far from what his style is. It's like the polar opposite almost. It's like some of it shot on set, but most of it shot outside on real locations. Mm-hmm. Um, With a real train. Like, yeah. Which, you know, there have been movies shot with real trains, but it hap- a train. It was a train that was doing its own thing. But this is clearly like they rented out a section of track that they could shoot on, yeah. essentially. Um, um, it was, was nineteen ninety three. They just had them lying around. Probably, yeah. They're building tracks like like nobody's business. Um, apparently, uh, I, I think I read this that this movie was sort of inspired by the scale of Melies's movies. Um, especially Trip to the Moon, which is such, such a huge hit uh, that the Edison Company wanted to make their own versions of mm-hmm. that kind of thing to stop doing this kind of rinky-dink stuff and yeah. to step up their game. Like, hey, we got to stop um, stealing his movies and start making our own. Right. <laughs> People are going <laughs> to wise up to it at some point. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's... I think the, the storytelling in this one is really solid. Yes. Um it you know it's not it's i guess sort of loosely inspired by actual like stories of train robberies um but otherwise it's it's pretty straightforward of some 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 uh some outlaws rob a train yeah and... i called them in my notes i called them some no good rootin' tutors <laughs> i think that's appropriate <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it's got a lot less filler than Edwin S. Porter's other movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's tight. It's tight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's learned his lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool combo of the, like, location shooting and the kind of, like, more, like, stagey effects. Because there are a bunch of effects shots in this, too. Yeah. Um, one pretty cool effect is uh, that there's a... I'm not exactly 100% sure how how he did it. Um, there are a couple scenes where there's kind of the main the main area of, of the scene, which is uh, in these two cases are inside of a building next to some train tracks and inside of a train car. And then there's like a cutout zone. A window. That, yeah, a window or like an open door on the side of a train car. And then they have these cut-in uh, uh, other shots to either in the win- in the window next to the train tracks, you see a train arriving at the station out of the window, uh, and in the train car, it's got this like whooshing uh, uh, scenery, uh, so that when so that you're seeing the scene play out, but there's like it really sells this in-studio shot of being inside of a train car because you're just seeing all the scenery go by behind you. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like this, it really feels like, um, especially after his earlier movies, just from 1903, that like, uh, Porter is getting a lot more confident with each movie. Like mm-hmm. he's sort of like, he is learning from, from each one and kind of improving and, and 
just the the ambition of this movie is is a lot more felt i think yeah um, um we said before that it was uh it often gets credited as the first western which it wasn't really but my hot take on this is it it kind of might as well be right i mean i guess other stuff used western theming but this kind of uses western storytelling like maybe yeah well i don't know like before we had the mitchell and kenyon like weird terrible overexposed film of like people pretending to be native americans yeah and that's like the first western it's like not really though it's kind of some uh-huh. some people like playing dress up in their backyard and they filmed it and it's like yeah. that's not really a western and then there was like a saloon there were a couple like saloon scenes yeah that from from like uh edison company films um which and they were saloons that evoked the the west sure um, but like they were they were mostly like alcohol themed films more right. than anything um, this is the first one that is like a western. That is like bandits robbing a train, chases yeah. on horseback, gunfights. Like this is a proper western. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of gunfights, man, like the the there are some like great fight scenes in this movie too. Yeah, like they get they get kind of violent with like uh, the the bandits like get up and stab a guy and then throw him off the train. Um, right there's they use the old uh sw- like switch to a dummy trick which yeah. i love to death um <laughs> where yeah they're like they grab a guy and then it switches to a dummy and they throw him off the train uh and that's like a shot it's it's a really great shot it's on top of the moving train uh the camera is not on top exactly in the way that you would see in a phantom ride film but it's uh it's on top in a way that you see um the the train is filling up the bottom half of the shot so you can see the action play out but then all of the scenery is moving in the mm-hmm. background and I, I don't think it's fake i think it's no yeah that i definitely train. think that they just got up on a train and did that um and yeah so there's like a gunfight and stab fight on top of a moving train it's awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah the the robbers escape and sort of go dancing in a in a barn um i don't think that's them i think um is that not them no they they escape off to the woods and they're like with their horses and stuff and then the people who are dancing uh are are like the posse that goes and gets them oh maybe yeah well anyway there's a posse that goes and gets them and there's a gunfight yeah. there too posses um posses this has got everything so it's a western um <laughs> And I think this movie is super, super famous for is uh, the last shot, which yeah, is a, a complete non sequitur. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a um, like a, a a wanted poster type view of the lead outlaw with his big mustache, who pulls a gun and shoots directly at the at the lens of the camera. Yeah, um, which has been shown and copied and all manner of things it's it's very Fair, famous yeah very referenced um it's uh i mean it's you know getting at that kind of oh no a train's coming at me kind of thing or a little shooting, bit. shooting yeah. right at the camera um, um but it, one interesting thing that about about that shot is that uh apparently 
like happened sometimes as happens sometimes in film of this time it was up to the exhibitors whether they put that shot at the beginning or the end which is crazy (laughs) (laughs) Um, so i mean the scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie and so they just wanted to they're just like hey we've got this little thing put it somewhere you know it's fun Um, i'd love if there was just like you know if you want to put the top spinning at the end of inception at the beginning go ahead and do it we don't care (laughs) Um, um i like this though i like the idea of like like uh, I mean, maybe it came from theater in a way where you make you write a play and then other people decide how to interpret it, right? Right. Uh, but like, this is something that's so not done now, mm-hmm. where uh, a, a filmmaker or an artist will make something, but then make it like a little bit flexible, and like whoever's showing it to people can like put their own spin on it, like that, yeah. um, like that. Uh, kiss in the tunnel movie Mm -hmm. uh where um you could just splice it into any train movie and they're like yeah (laughs) just do what you want you know (laughs) i love that it's so it's so interesting yeah um that is super interesting it's such a like a uh such a great example of how different the like exhibition was yeah at the time um there's I I copied and pasted uh, a thing that made made me giggle, um, which is <laughs> a description of that final or first shot. Um, I feel like whenever you watch the movie now, it's usually at the end, but I, I do think it's interesting that it, it could be the beginning. Yeah. Um, but the promotional leaflet for the movie described it as scene fourteen realism. A life-size picture of Barnes, leader of the outlaw band, taking aim and firing point-blank at each individual in the audience. The resulting excitement is great. <laughs> this section <laughs> of the scene can be used to play uh, uh, we, what we said. Um, but yeah, the resulting excitement is great. Yeah. You will be thrilled. <laughs> you um, will be at the edge of your seats. The apparently advertisements for the movies described it as absolutely the superior of any moving picture ever made, which is a, a, I mean, a bit much. I mean, there's an argument for it. It's it, really good. <laughs> yeah, but still, I love how they're just like, this is the best one, hands down. Oh, I mean, that's very Edison company, yeah, I feel like. For sure. They're so boastful. Um, But it, it was... uh. Very successful for them. It worked out. Yeah, this movie toured around for years, I think. And it yeah. was one of the most uh, popular movies in the U.S. for a good while. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the first American, like, United States film that I think really pulls its weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The f- <laughs> it's the you some call it the first western some people who are wrong call it the first narrative film that but that one can, is just crazy to me that, yeah that's nonsense but what we can agree on is that it is the it is the first halfway decent american mil- yeah. film yeah pretty much i hate to say it but it's true uh and uh yeah, i guess that's it yeah um the end well <laughs> The end. Uh, you can uh, uh, follow us on the internet. Uh, links are in the show notes. Uh, you can watch along on YouTube. 
And uh, we'll see you next week for 1904. And I'll see you next week, Glenn. Bye-bye. Bye. Electric love. Electric love. Electric love. Electric love.